I was in U of I for the past four four months now. Um, is, I came here because of my break, my winter break. I'm coming back to U of I uh, today at seven o'clock. Um, the first month of college was blew my mind. Uh, it, there was so much wild, just partying, so much drinking, so much drugs, so much sin going on all around me, and I was that that first month was just the test of my life, the test of my emotions, the test of my 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 purity, the test of my my love for God, my relationship for God, because it was just so the environment there is just so different from what I was used to, and for the first month I was into that lifestyle where I was partying every week. I was I was doing um, I was trying new things that's not for God and. And the more I do it, the more guilt, the more condemnation I felt for myself because I knew better. I, I've been I've been living for God for four years now, and and to do that is just so much conviction in my heart. And that that last month, the last week, I've I've done it. It was just so so much condemnation that I just cried unto the Lord. One, um, I I woke up in the morning, I just cried, cried, cried because it was just it was just heartbreaking I mean so I opened the Bible and then I just I just read and just prayed and, and I repented and it was just it was like a weight 100 pounds off my shoulders it was amazing it was so like the love of God I felt him for the first time in life for a long time because of that time and, and it was just oh, man I can't I can't describe how good it felt I can't it's undescribable. His love is unconditional. His love is eternal. His love is amazing. Oh, man. So I have a verse uh, for you guys. It's in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. Oh, Jared. Christ's love compels us. Therefore, one, he has, the one has died for all. The one has died, so all of us have died. And that is just, for he died in the cross for all of us. He died for all of us. I mean, for he's, he's the sacrifice that God has, has given us. He has given us salvation. He has given us the love that we don't deserve. I mean, every single one of us, even the murderers, the rapers, the abortion, everyone has given salvation. It depends on if we accept it or not. The gift has already been laid out in front of us. Why are we not accepting it? I mean, it's right there. I mean, so many people walk that narrow path. So many people walk the wide path, but so few walk the narrow path. Oh, Jesus. So I just want to leave you with that word, and I just want to pray. Lord, Father God, I, I pray, my God, for this church, my God. We may grow, God, in you, God, in your love, God, in your guidance, my God. No other worldly guidance but yours alone, my God. I pray, my God, that we persevere through the tough times, my God, that is coming ahead of us, Lord Father God. For when you come back, my God, we will live strong for you, my God. 
we will go out, my God, and just praise your name. All the nations, my God, will bow down before you, my God. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you, my God, will just help us through the times of our need, my God. Provide financial, my God. Provide emotional. Provide just amazing support for us, my God. So I pray, my God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Put your hands together this morning. Let me sing it out. The greatest day. The greatest day in history. At this beating, you have rescued me. Sing it out. Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out. Jesus is alive, He's alive, and oh, happy day, happy day, you washed my sin away, oh, happy day, happy day, I'll never be the same. But when I stand, when I stand in that place, we'll free at last, a meaning face to face. I am yours. Sing it out. Jesus, you are mine. Endless joy. Endless joy, you perfect peace. Earthly pain finally will sing. Celebrate, Jesus is alive. Well, he's alive. Wash my sin away, oh, happy day, happy day, I'll never be the same, oh, happy day, happy day, you wash my sin away, oh, happy day, happy day, I'll never be the same, oh, Lord, forever I'm changed. And oh, what a glorious day, what a glorious way that you have saved me. And oh, what a glorious day, what a glorious way that you have saved me. And oh, what a glorious name, what a glorious name, oh, say his name with Jesus. And oh, happy day, happy day, you wash my sin away, oh, happy day, happy day, I'll never sing out sing, oh, happy day. Happy day, you wash my sin away. Oh, happy day. Oh, what a happy day. 
Well, I'll never be the same. Gonna sing it all. And oh, what a glorious day! Come on, would you join with me? Would you lift your hands? Oh, that you have, that you have saved me. And oh, what a glorious day! You have saved me, Lord. That you have saved me. Oh, what a glorious name! What a glorious name! Oh, shout His name, Jesus! And oh, happy day, happy day! You wash my sins away. Oh, happy day, happy day! I'll never be the same. Oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sins away. Oh, happy day, happy day. Come on, just the voices, sing it out. We say, Oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sins away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll go sing it again. We say, my sins away oh happy day happy day i'll never be the What can make me white as snow? What can make me white as snow? 
Place church, come on. Oh, nothing but your blood. We can celebrate this morning. Oh, sin has no hold in our life. Oh, hey, nothing but your blood. Nothing but your blood, Lord. And what can wash up? This morning, what can all my mistakes, oh Lord, all my failures, God, nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood. What can make me white as snow? Come on, sing. And what can make me white as snow? It welcomes us.
around this place. Come on, right now, this is for people right now in this place. I just feel the Lord just giving me his heart. If there's, if there's anybody in this place that is feeling condemnation right now in your walk with God, come on, you're really condemned. When you can't even sing the song, nothing but the blood of Jesus, because your guilt is just too much. You're saying, Jesus doesn't love me. I want you to come up to the front. Come on up. Come on up. There's no shame. There's no shame. God wants you to experience his love, his goodness, his freedom here today. Come on, is there anybody here today that would say to themselves, like, man, I know there's more. I know if I've experienced more of the Lord, but right now, I'm, I'm just, I can't feel it right now. If there's any guilt, condemnation over in your life, maybe the way you treat your family, maybe the way you treat your spouse, your children, maybe the ways you've been behaving at work, or maybe the things you've done in secret. Come on. Come on, nothing but the blood. Come on, he covers you. Nothing but the blood in this place. Come on. Whoa. Come on, church, let's just begin to pray. Nothing but the blood, it covers us. You here today, let there be freedom. Let there be freedom from guilt. Holy Spirit, make them white as snow. 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 who respond here today we're going to sing this one more time and I want you to experience the grace and the freedom that there's found in Jesus so on, church we're going to join them here today but especially those that came and God is just touching your heart right now we're going to sing this what can wash away my sin hallelujah
wants to do something very specific in this place. And I think it bears witness to what Pastor Adam was saying a few minutes ago to those that feel condemned. Most of the times when folks feel condemned and guilty, we call it condo bondo. And we say no condo bondo. Amen. Condo, condo is the condemnation. You feel just guilty, condemned because of your sin. And then it puts you in bondage. So you can't live the life you ought to live and be the person God made you to be. And that rises up because of habitual sins, pattern sins. Stuff that you keep going back and forth with God on. Stuff that you keep repenting of and you keep doing again. And you feel like, how could God possibly love me? How can he possibly have this much patience? I want everybody come up to this altar. Come to the mercy seat. Now this is just, a, you know, this is just a wood and stuff. But I'm, I'm saying in a spiritual place, come to the mercy seat. Come receive mercy from Jesus. There's not going to be anyone to lay hands on you. You get it in with the Lord. You call on his name. You ask him to cleanse you. You ask him to forgive you. You receive his forgiveness. And ask him to change your life. And he'll give you power to change your life. Anybody that's been going around the mountain, so to speak. Same issues. We receive salvation, Jesus. We receive freedom, Jesus. Forever. 
And you might say, well, I'm not a rebel. I've not committed crimes. But you've broken God's laws, haven't you? I did the math once. If you told two lies a day every every day for your adult life, that's 58,000 lies. It's not to mention the perverse thoughts and fantasies. That's not to mention that you know everything else that we do that's against God. We break God's commandments daily. And we stand condemned just like he did. And this is a profound uh, theological concept here because Jesus is over there and he's... And he's dying for his sins. We always think, well, Jesus died for my sins 2,000 years ago. He looks over to his side. There's Jesus dying for my sins. So he's on one cross, and he's being punished for his sins according to man's law. And the one next to him is being punished for everyone's sins according to God's law. We're all guilty and stand condemned, just like that thief. Second thing is, just like that thief on the cross, that rebel... We are all on the brink of eternity. He is acutely aware. He has hours to live. And then he's going to pass over into the great unknown, to the point of no return. The Bible says we are appointed to die once and then the judgment. Now we may think we have years to live. We have all the time in the world to get it right. But we're not promised hours, even, let alone years. How do we know we'll even make it home today? So we're on the brink of eternity. Like one preacher said, sinners are hanging over the pit of hell by a thin thread. And it's a matter of when, not if, that thread snaps. First, that we're guilty, we stand condemned. Second, we're on the brink of eternity. Third, we have the Savior within arm's reach. When he saw that he was guilty, when he saw his need, He began to recognize Jesus, and he says he's righteous, he's done nothing wrong. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom, because he recognizes that Jesus is the king. And my friend, you don't get into the kingdom without the king. So he's there, and he, he just recognizes Jesus. He connects his need for forgiveness with the Savior who forgives. But here's the scary thing. There, was, there were two thieves One of them called on Jesus. One of them had assurance that he's in paradise. The other, we don't know. The text doesn't say, but let's just assume he didn't. But he had the same opportunity. The Savior was next to him too. And you you could be sitting next to somebody. You could be sitting next to your best friend. You could be sitting next to your neighbor, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. One of you can call on Jesus. The other might not. What's the difference, the the state of your heart? You have the same opportunity today to call on the king and enter his kingdom. Let us all stand. We're going to pray in a moment. Pastor Adam and Pastor Christina are here. If you want to, if you if you don't know what to do, if you don't know how to pray, how to call on Jesus, they'll help you. They'll, they'll, They'll walk you through that. And you can know that you will be with Jesus in paradise when it's your time. Amen. And they'll help you with that. If you just want to be a serious Christian, a disciple, they'll help you with that too. They'll plug you in. But I just want to pray for us that this message connects. Father, in the name of Jesus, your son, the king of the kingdom of heaven. We, we, we're, we're just here, Lord. We recognize our need. 
And Lord, even those of us who are saved today, we recognize, hey, without, without that, we're dying, we're condemned, we're lost without Jesus. So we're all here, Lord, in that same boat. We're just needing Jesus. We're needing salvation. We're needing grace. We're needing mercy. We're needing forgiveness. And Lord, it's not too late for any of us. One thing that this story demonstrates, it's not too late for any of us. No one is too far gone that they can't call on Jesus. As many sins as we've committed, as many mistakes as we made, as many times maybe some of us have cursed God and shook our fist at God, but He's still there next to us. And if we just call on Him, He will respond. We thank You for Your love today. We thank You for Your great mercy to us. I pray, Lord, that we would respond to it. If someone is lost in this room today, they don't know the Lord they would make it right with him today that they would talk to Adam or to Christina and they would they would pray they would pour their heart out before you they would confess their sins to you they would ask for your mercy and receive it abundantly we thank you God for this offer of life so free in Jesus name amen what we want to do everybody stay standing we're going to recite our confession of faith you can raise your hand if you want a, a paper copy of this. Our ushers will hand them to you. And so you can have the copy or you could read it off there. we got someone over here, uh, front section here. Uh, so that we'll get that to you. And then the rest of us, we could read this. This is our Christian worldview. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what we believe with all our heart. Amen. And so if and if this is your first time today, I'm just making that connection. If you were that thief on the cross today, you, you this, this is just part of your obedience. This is part of you acknowledging who Jesus is. Amen. So this is our confession of faith. One, two, three. We'll read it together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation and His death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment of all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. We're going to stand to greet each other. Meet somebody you don't know. Tell them you love them. If you need to get saved, talk to Adam or Christina.
everybody. Welcome to Metro Praise. Please make your way back to your seats. Thank you for coming this morning. It's good to have you all here. Welcome. I want to take this time and welcome all of our first-time visitors as you make your way back. Thank you for coming. If this is your first time here, please raise your hand. One of our ushers would like to bring you a brochure so you can learn a little bit about us and we can connect with you. Here at MPI, we have two main services. We have one visitor over here. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going to connect with you. Here at MPI, we have two main services, Sundays at 10 a.m., Fridays at 7. Elevate. Elevate. Amen. Elevate. Fridays at 7 p.m. for our teenagers. And here at MPI, we have a vision of loving God and loving people, the two greatest commands that Jesus gave us. We love God with our worship, with our commands, and we love people by telling them about Jesus, right? meeting their needs so that's our vision we do everything out of that vision and we have a strategy of connect mentor and send we want to make sure that you are connected to Jesus Christ first and foremost right he's the reason why we're here and then we want to connect you to our life groups everybody say life group life groups are a place where we as disciples share life so if you want a complete listing of what we have going on throughout the month please look on the back of your announcements there's a complete listing so here, this is what we have going on this week. We have a busy week. So today, at 3 p.m., the Activity Life Group is going out bowling with Ishmael. Come on. There's the address to the bowling alley. And then we have Encounter Night Prayer Group meeting today at 5 p.m., a time of soaking in God's presence, worshiping, listening to an encouraging word. And then Marriage Life Group. Come on, where are the ma married folks? Come on, where are the married folks? Come on, guys. Today, meeting with Ricky and Rachel, and that is at 5 p.m. Single Mama's Life Group with childcare. Come on. They're um 5 p.m. Wednesdays, King's Kids. Woo! That's my <laughs> parents, King's Kids is a place for your kids. Drop off your kids, stay with them, spend quality time, pour into them so they can learn the commands of God. Fridays is at my house, adult Bible study at 7 p.m. with childcare provided as well. A time of worship studying the word, uh, breakout groups, great fellowship. So talk to us Fridays at 7 p.m. And then Saturday, evangelism, powerful time out on the streets, telling Chicago about Jesus. Talk to Pastor Deanna about that Saturday at 5 p.m. Amen. And then what do we do after we get connected? We get mentors. So that's the second part of our strategy. We want to teach you about Jesus Christ. And that's through the one-on-one -on -one book that you can do with one of our elders or our deacons at a time that's convenient for you. Because we want you to know about Jesus. We want you to know what the Bible says about him. And then after that, you go on to the two-on-one class, meeting Sundays at 8 a.m. with Pastor Jared. Disciples that make disciples. And that is you, amen? The third part of our discipleship strategy is to be sent out because God wants to use you to change the world around you, to be sent out in any place. You're going to be ready and equipped to represent Christ. And we have a goal of 100,000 souls here in the city of Chicago. I'm sorry. Wait, wait. 100,000 disciples, amen, here in the city of Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 all around the world. If you believe God can do that, say amen. Amen. Now it's time to prepare to give our tithes and offerings. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus 27, verses 30 through 34. 
I'm going to be teaching you this morning out of the Disciples Giving Book. If you want to follow along with this, please find the book on our website under books, the Disciples Giving Book. This lesson today is called The Tithe Was Established in the Law of Moses. We've learned so far the tithe is 10% of our total income, which is given to God faithfully. Anytime you give your 10% here at the church, it goes into our general fund. We pay the bills that way. Anything that you give after that becomes your offering. You can designate where your offering goes. You can give either to the building fund or you can give to missions. This year for missions, we are raising $20,000, amen, because we're taking a missions trip to the Philippines. You guys excited about that? We made some pledges at the end of last year, and come on, we got to keep those. It's between us and God. All right, so we're raising $20,000. We're already seeing God provide miraculously through your giving. Amen? And so just circle building or circle missions. All right, so if you're with me in Leviticus 27, let's read. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under a shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. These are the commands the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai for the Israelites. All right, so here are the two main points. What can we take away from this passage? Number one, the tithe represents our best. The people of Israel received strict instructions regarding tithing. They were to give God their best both in agricultural and livestock. And number two, the tithe was commanded in the law of Moses. The instructions that Moses was given were God's commands and not his suggestions. Let's summarize it. Just as God commanded the Israelites to give the tenth of their best livestock and vegetation in the Old Covenant, we in the New Covenant should give God 10% of our best income. Let's apply this to our life. Number one, we should understand that tithing is not a suggestion but God's command. And number two, don't pick and choose when and how we give to God. Always give him our best 10%. Amen? Let's be faithful with that. And let's confess this together on the count of three over our tithe and finances one two three the tithe was implied with Cain and Abel revealed to Abraham established in the law of Moses and is still relevant for today it comes with a blessing and a curse it must be qualitative a priority and a faithful practice in our lives the tithe advances the kingdom of God tests our maturity breaks the attitude of greed through obedience and is mandated for all and brings us into partnership with God and his church. Amen. Please stand to your feet with me this morning. Once again, tithe is 10% of your total income. Anything you give after that is your offering. Amen. Let's recite this scripture on the count of three. Acts 20, 35. One, two, three. 
The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are blessed. We are blessed people, a blessed nation. We pray, dear God, that you would continue pouring it out upon us as we're faithful to our tithe. Father, let this tithe, this 10% in our offering be used for your glory in all that we do. Dear God, bless MPI. Father, we pray that the finances would come forth for this mission strip because we know that you've called us there. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Come up as you give. How many excited about Jesus? Can I get a woo-woo? Come on. I want to do an end-of-the-year report with you guys for 2013. This is time to celebrate all that God did at Metro Praise International. I want to start off by telling you thank you for coming, being faithful. Everything that we did was a part of what you did. It could not have been done alone. It couldn't just be the guy holding the microphone because if it was just me, I would be here by myself every week, okay, making myself a disciple. So this has been a team effort. And I want to thank everybody who joined us on the journey that helped us relaunch here sometime last year. This is now our full, first complete year. And so we want to thank God for all that he has done here at Metro Praise International. Just right at the beginning, can we give God a hand clap? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you. Here's the most important part about Metro Praise International. Nothing is more important than this. And that is making disciples. Look at your neighbor and say, that's you. Thank you. Nothing is more important to us than that. I know there's churches that say that, but they may uh, sometimes confuse the signals with how much they put emphasis on their building fund and the worship band or choir or kids' performances. I hope that there is no confusion when you walk through these doors what we're focused on. This is it, making disciples that make disciples. Why? Because that's what Jesus said. He said that we needed to be like him on this earth. And what a great privilege to be like Jesus. I'm not a disciple of Mr. Miyagi, though that would be cool. Wax on, wax off. I'm not a disciple of some guy on The Voice, you know, learning how to sing. I am a disciple of Jesus. Are there any disciples of Jesus in the house today? Is there anybody that's honored to be Jesus' disciple, following in his way? Amen. You don't got to pay to go to his seminar. You don't got to learn 10 tips to get rich now. He said if you seek first his kingdom, everything else will be added unto you. So this is the most important thing about our church. And we had another campus in Wicker Park during the beginning of the year, and we joined together in April. And so I want to thank all the Wicker Park folks that joined with us. And that's why I started uh, adding all the numbers together here for this report in April. And you can see that we have been increasing in discipleship. We have been increasing in the 101 and 201. The blue is our elders. Our, uh, the red is our deacons. The green is the 201. The purple is the 101. All the way through 
averaging around 100 right now, ending last month with 97, 22 elders, 15 deacons, 26 in the 101, and 34 in the, uh, 26 in the 201, 34 in the 101. Can we give Jesus some praise for that? Amen. And if you have not done this, we're going to be talking about it today. So you're going to feel the squeeze today, amen? So sometimes people say, no pressure. No, you're going to feel pressure today. This is not the kind of church that says, it's okay with us, you not being a disciple. It's not okay with us. And if that bothers you, there's a church down the road, okay? It is not okay with us that you don't get discipled. It is not okay just to show up and do whatever you want. You're more than welcome to do it. We're not, like, going to push you out of the building, but we're not about what you're about. I want you to listen to me and listen to what I'm saying. If you're not about being a disciple, joining the 101, 201, whatever you be bout, I'm not bout, amen, whatever you are on, I'm not on, whatever you are thinking, this church is not thinking, okay, you may say, well, I like the music, the music is going to end one day when you face judgment, will mean nothing, you may say, well, I like how you preach, my preaching is going to end one day, won't mean nothing, the only thing that's going to matter is your relationship to Jesus Christ, were you his disciple, and sometimes when people hear me say this, they go, oh, what do you think? You're the only one. No, I'm just saying I'm your only one if this is the church God called you to be a part of. If he did not call you to be a part of the church, then find another church and go be a disciple. But that's what we're about here. Smile. <laughs> I'm excited. And you know what? Disciples give. The majority of our funds, over 80% of our monies, come from disciples. We brought in $151,719.40. We spent $143,271.65 for a surplus of $8,447.75. Let's bless the Lord. Thank you for those who have given. Thank you for those who have given. I appreciate what you have done in our life as a pastor, Nancy and I, and we appreciate what you have done for this church. We did it together. Look at your neighbor and say, together. This is very important to us as well. Our mission fund, we brought in $4,665.75. We've already have designated $1,612.50 for missions because when I talked about the, uh, the Philippines, rather, when I talked about it in December, people got so excited they started giving in December and we were going to start in the new year. So I had to make December a part of the Philippines month. So we're already a month ahead. And then the remainder, $3,053.25, some of it has already been given to New Orleans Church Plant. We support Raven Church Plant $100 every single month. We're giving to them. Some of you didn't know that. We helped start a church in St. Louis with Pastor Grogan and Urbana Assembly of God. We are right now sending books to the Philippines, Pakistan, and Nigeria, and we will also be giving partial of that money to our missionary friend Nick Lust to go to the Mediterranean, and there's even more that's going on to things we've done on the west side. Can we give Jesus a hand clap for missions? Amen. Thank you. And here is the uh, the basic breakdown of the expenses, what it looks like. So you got the, the main four is compensation. And my wife and I thank you so much for all that you have given to us so that we can make a living through this church. We were able to make $36,000. That's shy of what we've been allotted. And so we wanted that money to be in the savings. And so instead of taking all of the salary that we could have, we said we'll settle with what we can live off of. And so thank you for allowing us to have those funds this year. It was awesome. We've also been spending a lot of money 
on rent, but as you can see, rent is now second and staff is first. And what that means is we're going to be able to take care of our staff as the church grows. Talk to any business, any corporation, people are always more important than products and things. You have to take care of your people. And so we're really making plans to have our pastors on staff and take care of them as well. And then you have the utilities, which comes in a third place, and then the uh, supplies as well. Rather, supplies is third, utility is fourth, and then it just goes down from there. This is how we spent the money. And guess what I want to do? I want to take some of those shekels that we have in savings, and I want to bless our pastors today. Amen? I want to sow some seed into them. So Eddie Berto and Griselda Goivea, would you come, please? Would you give them a hand clap as they come? Pastors Berto and Griselda are in charge of counseling. Every single person that needs counseling here, they go to Pastor Berto and Griselda. When you have a need, it goes to them. It's basically like what the one preacher said. Hey, you know, whenever you have a problem, see this man. You know, like when he said that, you know, that's how I say Like whenever you got a problem with me, see Pastor Berto. And they take care of business around here. Can we bless the Lord for them? Amen. Thank you, guys. Jared and Sue Ellen, would you come? Jared and Sue Ellen working with the children, Sue Ellen, and then Jared leading our 201, teaching every Sunday morning and leading our abortion ministry. Thank you so much. Let's give it up for them. Amen. Chris and Vanessa Vitali leading up our encounter night, making disciples, doing great things for Jesus. We appreciate you both so much. Thank you. Ellie and Lilani Hernandez. Working as assistant pastors in the encounter night, leading back there, and also working with the youth and children. We thank you guys so much, man. Let's give it up for them. Come on. Adam Nieves, our youth pastor. Where is that awesome guy at? Leading worship, bringing it down every single week. Love you, man. Let's give it up for our youth pastor, amen. Assistant youth pastor. Let's give it up for Christina Pillman, a.k.a. the Pilster. Mentoring girls, blowing it up, doing so awesome. Give it up for her one more time. Come on. Lauren Sienski, the single mama, or the, the, the married mama reaching single mamas. Let's give it up for her. Amen. Moving right along. And Pastor Deanna. Let's all stand to our feet because she made the reports. She's our administrator. Let's give it up for Deanna. Pastor Deanna, the administrator. Awesome. Thank you. You guys may be seated. We're just so thankful for what God is doing here. Every report and all that you have, Deanna did. So if you want to tell her thank you, you can do that as well. As you're looking over your giving report, you should have it handed out to you. If you have any questions about your giving for this year, just talk to Deanna. And I'm also going to call up Ricky in just a moment, but I want you to come and talk to them. If you think the numbers are off or it's not lining up, you guys talk to them, and, and they'll situate it for you. And we gave it to those who brought in 400, uh, gave $400 or more because that's generally what will give you some type of a tax relief. But if you gave less than 400 and you want your report just to know what you gave, they'll print it out for you as well. So that's uh, taking care of business. And here's what I want to say before Ricky comes up. He's in charge of our financial committee. We have a vision here for 2014. Y'all want to know what it is? So God did great things in 13. Now it's time to see things we've never seen in 2014. Okay? We're going to love God and people. We're going to make disciples through connect, mentor, and send. And we're going to set our heart on what? 100,000 disciples. 50 churches here, 500 around the world. If you want to be a part of it, let's do it. It. Amen. Let's give it up for Ricardo Rivera. 
the humble man of God that serves our people and represents the financial committee. Amen. Pastor Joe so detailed. There's not much to say after him. So uh, I'll try my best. Uh, you know, I've been with Pastor Joe and Nancy for, uh, for a long time. And I got to say, this past year has been one of the best years. It's kind of been just less stress. It's been consistent. It's been good. So uh, we want to thank everyone here uh, for, uh, for making it happen because it's you. You made it happen. And so we thank you for uh, everything, uh, not just finance, but we see that we're growing in every way with disciples, ministry, and finances. We just, and, and you see that whatever we, uh, we get, we give it away. We want to do so much for the community, for our city, for missions. And so uh, the encouragement is that if you consider this your church, that you continue to allow God to use you to support this church. Obviously, we have goals. We want to continue to grow. We want to support our pastors, we, we, Pastor Joe, just introduced them. They do so much. They sacrifice so much for, uh, for God's kingdom and for this church. And so continue to pray with us and continue to support us, the church, not me, but, uh, you know, the, the, the church, our pastors, so that we can continue to do more for God's kingdom. Amen. And so, uh, and also to let you know, yeah, I'm one of the leaders. I'm part of the financial committee. So any questions that you uh, have with finances, uh, any problems or anything like that, please come to me, and uh, I'll try to help you as best as I can. But, uh, but amen, we thank you again for everything that you guys have been doing. Continue to uh, uh, come with us. Continue to go on this journey with us so that uh, we can continue to do great things in this city. Amen? Awesome. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me, please, to Esther chapter 4 as we uh, continue in our series for such a time as this. We are going through this month the book of Esther, starting off our new year, looking at the vision, strategy, and goal of Metro Praise International. And we wanted to do this in the book of Esther so that you would see the practical applications of what the church is doing also in your life with your family on your job and what you're doing. There shouldn't be a disconnect between the church and your life. As the church is being successful in reaching its goals, you should be reaching your goals. Has the church been set back in some of its goals? Yes, we had to reboot and reload. Maybe you've had to go through that rebooting and reloading. Maybe you've had to work hard this last year. We can identify with that because the church is really just one big organization of smaller organisms. We're all here together doing the best that we can do for God. And when we do that, God will use us as one big mighty army to do great works in this city but it has to come down to the one individual to the individual family because if your family's not blessed how can the church be blessed if you're not living right as a single young adult or as a single mom if you're not right with God and your family's not right how can we do what's right here so it needs to uh, impact your life this loving God loving people thing that we talked about last week that's online if you missed it that needs to be for your family your life what greater goal can you set for your family than loving God and loving each other? I can't think of a greater goal. And now as we look at a strategy of how to serve God in our everyday life, as we look at Connect, Mentor, Send, I hope that you look at the story and see in the life of Queen Esther something that you can do personally, not just a part of the church, which is great, we do things together, but what you can do individually on your job, with your family, and in your community, wherever you go, to make a difference for God. Now, if you're with me, in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, can you say I'm there? Wonderful. Now let's look at this text. We've been reading it for the whole series. For such a time as this, here's where it comes from. 
Mordecai is talking to Esther, and this is what he says to her. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish, and who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Can everybody say, for such a time as this? Booyah, amen. Now let's look at the introduction up here, right above that. During the time of Queen Esther and Mordecai, God gave Esther, everybody say Esther, thank you, a strategy to rescue the Israelites from the wicked plot of Haman. With prayer and fasting, God used that plan to deliver the Jews while Haman was punished. So we see this kind of typical bad guy versus good guy, in this case, good girl. The good guy wins and the bad person loses, okay? And the bad person was Haman, and the good person was Queen Esther and the Israelites. The same is true in the church age, because God is giving his people discipleship strategies. Everybody say discipleship strategies. Thank you, through prayer and consecration to defeat the plans of the enemy. So does everybody see in our world today there's good guys versus bad guys? And we're not saying our fight is against flesh and blood. My fight is not against the murderers, the drug dealers, the abortionists, and, and the homosexual community. No, my fight and battle is against Satan and his demons and the mindsets that people take from demonic realms. To kill a baby in a womb is a demonic idea. That is a deception for an unnatural affair between uh, and, and sexuality from a man and a man and a woman and a woman. That is demonic. That is wicked. That is twisting the natural scheme of things. And I'm not saying that every evil person is demon-possessed. I'm just saying, like in the Garden of Eden, all the root of sin and temptation has come from the devil. It was the devil in the Garden of Eden who said to the woman, did God say you really can't eat from all of these trees? And the devil is still doing the same thing today he gets us to question God's word and says did God really say that did he really mean that did he really mean you couldn't have sex before marriage did he really mean you couldn't worship other gods I mean did he really mean that and then you see the very next thing after he gets them to question God to come off their foundation of God's word he gets them to question it like this is God's foundation they come off of the foundation now they're on shaky ground and he says go ahead and eat it you'll become like God the moment you eat this fruit you'll be like God you'll know what is right and what is wrong you'll make your own rules and is that not exactly what you see happening today we've come off the foundation of God's word we're doubting if God really has a solid foundation and now we're uh, making up our own right and wrongs well I think this is right and I think this is wrong and I think this is right and I think this is wrong who really decides in the end what we're saying is man decides but if you are a Christian if you're a believer in God's word you say God decides not you and that was the same thing in the time of Queen Esther. This man wanted to make up his own rules. Haman wanted to have all the Jewish people killed. But God said, I'm not going to let you have this genocide. I'm not going to let you kill all these people. So he gave a foundation for Esther to stand on, to base her life on, and then she delivered the people of God. And I want to know, are there any people in this house that want to be Esther's, stand on the foundation of God's word, and rescue a generation? Is there anybody here that knows what God says is right what God says is wrong and by giving those instructions to others want to see them rescued from the enemy when I give you the biblical standard of right and wrong I'm not judging you in my opinion if you asked me, you know, Joe, what's your opinion? Well, I think, uh, you know, pizza with uh, pineapples and pepperoni is my favorite flavor. You know, and then if you say, well, man, I don't like pineapples on my pizza. Well, praise God, I'm not the judge of all pizzas then, right? 
Praise God, I don't have to order your pizza. And believe it or not, my family, we actually like anchovies. We're Greek. My wife is Greek, and I've kind of been adopted into that family, and we like anchovies on all kinds of things, salads and pizzas. So guess what? I'm glad I'm not in charge of pizzas. Well, the same thing is true with morality. When somebody says, well, that's just your opinion about homosexuality. Don't judge me. Or that's your opinion about adultery. Don't judge me. No, it's what God said. I'm just telling you what he said. If it was up to me, you could marry whoever you want. You could do whatever. I mean, that kind of thinking would be true. But I'm not saying what I think i'm saying what god said is there anybody willing to say what god said they may think you're a fruit nut and a flake like a granola person granolas are made of fruits nuts and flakes they may think you're some granola weirdy but i would rather say what god said than my own opinion because opinions are like armpits everybody's got them and they always amen i ain't looking for opinions i'm looking for the truth now i want you today as you hear this message to prayerfully consider what is your part to play in the strategy that God has given us. We call this strategy Connect, Mentor, Send. And you've heard that quite a bit today. And so I want to get right into the message now. When you look at Esther's plan to uh, rescue the Jewish people, there's some good things that we can learn from this. So I want you to look at these points as I go over them quickly. Our notes are always online on our website. And uh, forgive me for weeks prior when I was talking about Esther, I said some things out of order. So if you were listening to me going, hey, I think he said that out of order, it was uh, my mistake. So I've taken my time to detail it now so that there's no confusion of what really happened with Esther and this situation. Now let me give you the background. Esther is a Jewish girl. She's living in Persia. The Persians have taken over Israel, and they're in charge. The king, is his name is King Xerxes. He has a wife named Vashti. He doesn't like how his wife behaves, so he kicks her out of the kingdom, and then he looks for a new woman to marry. He marries this young Jewish girl, Esther, and then they uh, together rule the kingdom, right? Now, Haman, a guy who doesn't like Mordecai, who is Esther's stepfather because she's lost her mom and dad, tries to have Mordecai killed. Then, because he doesn't like Mordecai, he finds out what nationality he is. He then wants to kill all the Jewish people because Mordecai was Jewish. Then God used Esther to rescue the Jewish people as the queen, and then Haman was punished. Okay, that's in summary. Somebody say amen. Okay, now this is what she did. Number one, Esther asked everyone to pray and fast. Esther 4.16, so this is how she's going to get her plan. Then Mordecai followed her, her instructions, passed them on. Esther 5, uh, 4.17. Number three, Esther invited King Xerxes and Haman to the first banquet. So she is going to now trick Haman and make him look bad in front of the king. That's Esther 5, 1 through 4. Number four, Esther invited Haman and King Xerxes to another banquet the next day, Esther 5, 7 through 8. So she basically says, hey, uh, King Xerxes, will you meet with me? And he goes, yeah, what do you want to talk about? Well, bring Haman and I'll tell you. And so they get together and she goes, well, I want to meet with you in one more day. Now, this second banquet was very important because during the night, number five, during the night between the first banquet and the second banquet, King Xerxes is given a dream by God about how someone tried to kill his life, but someone had saved him. Now, this is very important because part of Queen Esther's plan was for God's people to pray. 
And so while they were praying, they got a very she got a strategy, and the strategy was to meet with King Xerxes twice, not just once. And we may say, well, why not just ask him the first time? Well, God had a plan that between the first time she met with King Xerxes to the second time, he was going to give her, uh, King Xerxes, a dream to help him favor the Jewish people. Somebody say a God thing. I'm just going to repeat this again. The reason why she met with King Xerxes twice is because God told her to. And in between the two days meeting with her, God gave King Xerxes a dream. So we need to be sensitive to what God tells us to do. Does God give us two steps, three steps, one step? However many steps God gives us to do, we should follow him. Now, during that night, he gets a dream, and all of a sudden, he recognizes, I was saved, and somebody saved my life. Number six, King Xerxes honors Mordecai because Mordecai had saved his life. Prior in the story, Mordecai heard about two people plotting to kill the king. He then told Queen Esther. Queen Esther got those two men exposed. The king's life was saved, but nobody was honored. It didn't get any further than that. But during this dream, he goes, man, I need to honor this man. So he wakes up that day after the first meeting wakes up and says I want to honor Mordecai well it just happens to be Mordecai is a Jew the same one Haman hates and because of Mordecai because of Haman's hate towards Mordecai he wanted to kill all the Jews do you guys get how the story is transpiring like half of you praise God okay the other half you guys coming along come on are you coming with me now look at number seven or, or number six, King Xerxes honors Mordecai because of saving his life. Number seven, then at the second banquet, Esther reveals her Jewish identity and asks King Xerxes to spare her people. So she goes, hey, you really love Mordecai? Yeah, I like Mordecai because he saved my life. Well, guess what? Mordecai is a Jew, and so am I, and I'm a Jew. And guess who wants to kill Jews? Haman, the guy that's at the banquet right now. King Xerxes is like, what should we do? Let's kill him and his family because he was trying to exterminate us. Bad guy loses. See, some of y'all don't understand that kind of justice. See, sometimes we think bad guys should get second and third and fourth chances. Let me tell you something. You try to wipe out an entire people, you deserve the death penalty. You kill somebody, you deserve the death penalty. This is what needs to bring the fear of God into people's minds. You will not live a cray-cray life on this earth and not pay for the penalty of that. So I do believe in the death penalty. I do believe in divine justice. And I believe that will help slow the roll of some of the criminals here in our culture. Okay? So bad guy dies. Hitler died. Stalin died. Praise God. Amen? Bad guys, you will die. And here's the thing. Sinners will die as well and suffer in eternity without Christ. Because God... God's law is higher than man's law. Just understand that you may not be a criminal in God uh, in man's ways because you know you don't break the laws, but you may be a criminal in God's ways because He says adultery of your heart and eyes—that's the sin of a, uh, lust in your heart and eyes—is the sin of adultery. So you may say, "I've never cheated on my wife." Yeah, but have you ever lusted after another woman you're not married to? That's the sin of adultery. You may say, "I've never married, uh, um, never murdered anybody," but if you hated people in your heart and cursed them out, God says that's the sin of murder. Matthew chapter five. Amen. Somebody say it's tight, but it's right thank you now you see number eight king xerxes overturned Hammond's plot and had him impaled esther 7 8 through 10 so one more time because i know there's a lot of details here i just want to summarize it 
King Xerxes, ruling Persia, the Jewish people are oppressed. He gets upset with his wife, Vashti. He gets a new wife, Esther, who happens to be Jewish. She's getting raised by Mordecai. During this time, Mordecai foils a pot that was trying to kill Xerxes' lives. Later on, Haman gets mad at Mordecai because he won't bow down to him. And then he wants to kill Mordecai and all the Jewish people. But Mordecai comes to Esther and says, look, you've been put into the kingdom for such a time as this, so you better do something to save the people. So she says, let's pray about it, and then I'll get a plan. Then she gets a plan and says, I'm going to meet with King Xerxes and Haman, and then I'm going to meet with them the next day. Between the first day and the second day, King Xerxes has a dream about how somebody saved his life. It happened to be Mordecai. Next day, he honors Mordecai. Uh, Queen Esther had them all together and said, I'm a Jewish person. Mordecai, who saved you, is a Jewish person, and this bad dude's been trying to kill me. And then he says, let's now kill the bad guy. He's impaled. Boom, shakalaka. That's how God used Esther. Can I hear an amen? Now, what can we learn from this? Here's some simple things we can learn as now we get to the application here. What can you learn? Number one, accept your calling. Everybody say, accept my calling. Okay, like how Queen Esther had a calling, you have a calling. And we call it a calling because it's God beckoning you to follow him and to do his will. And I like the word calling as a way of describing it in our English language because you don't always have to answer who calls you. And this is the choice you have. You can either let the phone ring and ignore God's voice, or you can pick it up and say, Hello, Jesus. I'm your servant. What can I get for you today? Right? Instead of calling up Jesus, going, Jesus, I would like a new life with a new house and a new car and a beautiful body and all of that and, you know, more money. Thank you, Jesus. Instead of calling up Jesus, acting, acting like he's your uh, genie in the sky, you need to pick up the phone and say, Jesus, you're my master. I'm your servant. And I'm here to do what you want. Somebody say, accept the calling. Because this is what it says here. For if you remain silent, Mordecai's talking to Esther. Man, she's scared about going through with this. And he says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. So here he doesn't even bribe her with this like great grandiose destiny. Like, if you don't do it, nobody else will. No, he's like, if you don't do it, somebody else will. Somebody else will. You'll be the coward in the story, but God's going to raise up a hero. Look at your neighbor and say, be a hero. Don't be a zero. Okay? You can be the zero if you want, but there's always going to be a hero because God's plan is going to get accomplished. Okay? So he says, if you remain silent, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. Let me just help backsliders in here. Let me just help you. Everybody look up at me. I love you. But when you don't show up to church, you don't hurt me. You just hurt yourself, baby. See, my family's blessed. I'm on my way to heaven shouting glory all the way. I can't speak for your family, though. So when people think about coming to church and doing churchy things, they're like, I'm doing this for the pastor. Oh, and I'm not going to show up. I wonder if they're going to be upset I'm not here. No, you're not doing it for me. I'm going to heaven with or without you. This train is moving. Choo, choo, whether you coming or not. Hell is hot. Listen to me. Hell is hot no matter what. So if the devil goes there, it's going to be hot. If you go there, it's going to be hot. And guess what? Heaven's not, baby. Hell's hot, heaven's not, which way are you going? Choo-choo. 
I just want to say that right now because so often we confuse, you know, we're, we're needing tithes and offerings and we want to do this for God. Sometimes people get in this relationship with the church where it's like, I need them and they need me and I need, and Jesus needs me and I need Jesus and I kiss him and he kisses me. No, listen to me. He's the boss. You're a servant. You don't want to do it? He'll get 10 more in your place. Amen. I set down the mic and I say, Metro praise ain't for me. He'll raise up another radical tongue talker three blocks down that will get that job anyway. He'll call somebody from Africa to come do the thing, just like he brought me from Indiana to do the thing. He's not dependent upon us to do what he's got to do. So I just want to say that you've got to determine you're going to accept the calling for you and your family. Not for me and my family. Yes, you will benefit us if you're here. We would rather do it with you than without you. We're not angry at you. We want you to be a part of what God is doing. Amen? But if you don't want to do it, we're praying for the person that takes your seat to do it. Amen? And it goes for me. I'm just going to say it one more time. It goes for me. If I don't want to do it, God will raise up somebody else to do it. You don't want to reach your high school, somebody else will reach your high school. You don't want to reach your family, God will save another one of your family members. God will get his plan accomplished. He says, but you and your family's family, uh, you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So those of us who are obedient to God, somebody say obedient. Thank you. We understand. Man, I'm here for such a time as this. Wow, God brought me to Chicago for such a time as this. I don't want anybody to take my calling. I don't want anybody to steal my crown. I don't want no pastor to do what I'm supposed to do. I thank God for all the other awesome pastors, but I don't want them to do what I have to do. I don't want nobody to have to reach my neighbor when I'm supposed to reach my neighbor. God help me to be that person in my family, in my community, on my job, wherever I go. After you accept your calling, what we can learn from Esther number two is to pray for a plan. Somebody say the man with the plan. You know God always has a plan. Do you know that God always has a plan, and if we ask him for that plan, he will give it to us? I can show you pictures when we were signing the Declaration of Independence and signing our Constitution that we bowed our knees as founding fathers, bowed our knees in this nation and said, God, what's your plan to build a nation? One of my pastors, one of my mentors, Pastor Grogan, was just in Congress, brought there by the chaplain, United States Congress, and opened it up with prayer. It's online. You can see it. Papa G prayed, and he said, God, I pray that all the leaders here will get your plan, that we'll do what you want to do. See, God's got a plan for a nation. God's got a plan for your family. God wants to bless your family. He's not promising you a yellow brick road. He's not promising you always singing in the rain days. But he's got a plan to get you out of your mess and to bless you. Amen? He don't want to bless your mess. He wants to get you out that mess. He wants your task to become a testimony. So it's God, what you saying? What are you saying to me? Pray for that plan. And prayer is how we communicate. Esther said this, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Fasting means not to eat. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. So she said, I'm going to put God first. See, some of you, you've got to do that this year. You've got to pray. You've got to fast. You've got to put God first. If you didn't like the way last year was, how is it going to be any different this year unless you do something different? Doing the same thing, expecting different results is crazy, okay? You can't keep doing the same things and expect different results. You can't keep hanging out with the same people, acting the same way, and expect different things to happen. So if anybody here was discontent with any area of their life last year, it's time to pray and get a new plan for 2014 so you can see things you've never seen. 
It's up to you. If you want to see things you've never seen in 2014, you got to hit your knees, baby. Now be bold and speak up. Because number three, at some point, you're going to have to say what you're here to do. Just like I got bold with you guys a few moments ago. Excuse me, I'm not angry at anybody, but I'm just being bold and speaking up with you. This is the plan. This is what we're going to do here. See, I had to be bold and speak up. We're going to connect, meant to send. You all don't want to do that? Go somewhere else and find something else to do. It ain't being angry. It's not being mean. It's a little sassy. But it's just being right. It's just telling you, this is our plan. And you've got to set the same rules in your house. This is our plan. Children, we go to church on Sundays. No swearing, no cussing. You get good grades, you get good money, you get good food. You don't get good grades, we're going to give you whatever we got, and you ain't going to get nothing extra. That's it. You don't get good grades, ain't no pizza. You're just getting bread and butter, and I'll sprinkle a little bit of cheese on there if I got to. Pizza in this house is a privilege. Get your good grades. Respect me around this house. I don't owe you nothing, amen, except some food and some water and a place to sleep. Amen. Come on, y'all looking at me crazy. We got kids that think they're owed everything. You ain't owed nothing except the air you breathe. That's all you're owed around here. You got to earn the rest. Show me that you're wanting the rest. I teach that with my kids. Not all of them get candy every day. Which one acted right, Nancy? Which one acted bad? Okay, you don't get it. You do get it. And I love, like, lavishing on the one who does get it. I'm like, I'm giving you extra scoops. And, like, Hannah's sitting over here and Bethany's getting the scoops. And I'm like, she's getting extra scoops. Look at all that good ice cream she's getting. Because I want that other child to sit there and go, oh, I got to do good next time. That's right. We ain't giving them all that ice cream. You got just good ones get the ice cream. Praise God. She said, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. You see, in those times, you couldn't just go up to the king whenever you wanted, even if you were the queen. She had to go through a certain procedure. But she was willing to break the laws that they had of procedure to get about something that God had. And I'm not giving us permission to break the laws of the land. But I am saying that if there is a tradition or something that comes against what God is saying, God always comes first, not that tradition. And if, God forbid, our nation does us make laws against God. I'd rather be right with God and wrong with men. Amen? And there's stories of that now happening in North Korea where they say you can't worship God. Amen? They need to keep worshiping God. There's Muslim nations where they say you can't speak against the prophet and call him a demon-possessed false prophet. But we do that here, and we will as long as we can. Amen? And if they kill us, that's okay. We don't die. We multiply. Amen? That's why we send in books to Pakistan. I tried to go there. They denied my visa, but I was willing to go there. I'm willing to lay down my life for Jesus. Amen? I've already had good years. i got a beautiful wife and kids. My life belongs to Jesus. Amen? He wants to take me. He can take me. He's already given me all that I have. How can I hold on to it now and make these things an idol? It's all about God. It's his plan. Number four, pass on God ordained, the God-ordained vision and, and instructions. The Bible records that Mordecai went away and carried out what Esther said. Esther 4, 17, somebody's got to be in charge, and then we got to trust that person that's in charge to give us the right instructions, and they're trusting us to take those instructions and pass them on. Do you guys get how this worked? Queen Esther got a plan, and then she gave it to Mordecai, and Mordecai went and handed out that plan. I want to ask you a question. Are you in a house today that has a plan? Are you in a church today that has a plan to win souls, make disciples? Do you trust me with the plan? Does it say make your pastor rich, buy him a new house, and then send him out to a vacation in, in uh, Costa Rica or something? Is that the plan? The plan is connect, mentor, and send. You know, connect to the cross, learn about the cross, go out and share the cross with others. Does that sound like that could be a God thing? 
Do you trust me with that? Do you, tr- do you think that there's some kind of an ill motive in me? Am I, am I trying to do something wrong in the midst of this plan? Yes or no? See, you've got to determine whether or not you trust me that I heard from God. Because before you got here, we've been talking about this. And when you got there, we, we kept talking about it, right? Would you just scroll up so they can see it so you don't think I'm crazy? Was there ever a day that you came, go all the way to the bottom, please. Was there ever a day that you came to this church, the slide may have looked different, the announcer may have been different, but was there ever a day you came here where this was not up there? Was there ever a day when we told you we're about something other than this, amen? There has not been, right? Now, do you trust them? Is there a lie in here? Is there a dishonesty in here? Then you have to now be trustworthy. Now, can I trust you to do this plan and to hand it off to others? I'm not trying to be greater than you, bigger than you. My wife and I, were equals, and I think she's way better than me. She's not just my better half. She's my better everything. Amen? She's my butter on my biscuit. She's my gravy on my mashed potatoes. She's spice and everything nice but when we're in the home she trusts me to make the final decision that's it i get to make the final decision as the head now my children they're 100 percent human beings just like we're human beings i'm not better than my children my human my children are humans and they deserve the right to eat and live and enjoy their peace and happiness they deserve that right they're children they deserve that are you all listening to me they have rights to do that but in my house we determine how we do that just like I was saying before, my uh, mom and dad made the rules of our house. Me and Nancy make the rules of that house. Now, it's the same thing in the church. Somebody's got to be in charge. So God placed me and my wife here and the pastors here. This is what we're going to do. What are you going to do now? What is your plan? Well, what, what's your idea to change the world? You know, if you can think of a better one than that, then I would say go do it. Just like they say to teenagers, you think you know everything, move out quick before you find out you don't. Right? So you, you think, man, I know a better way to run a church. I know a better way to have a vision. I know a better way for a strategy. I have a bigger goal than that. All right, go out there and do it. And I'll meet you in heaven. Amen? We'll talk about what we did when we get up to heaven. Because right now, I got blinders on. This is what I'm doing. That's what Esther had to do. Esther didn't say, you know, we got three plans and then we got a, a substitute plan. You know, we're going to do this, this, and this, and if this doesn't work, we're going to tap dance, and I'm going to do some stripping in front of the king and try to seduce him to do this. No, she had a plan that God gave her. Meet with him once. I'll take care of a dream. Meet with him again. Set up Haman. Boom, there it is. I think we got a plan here. It's up to you whether or not you want to do it. Amen? And then now number five, look at number five, do the plan. Esther risked her life to be a part of what God told her to do. So not only are you risking your life and, and uh, putting your life on the line, I'm risking my life. We talked about the finances this year. We have, Nancy and I have been allotted to make $50,000 as your pastor. I have a master's degree. They say I should be making between $75,000 and ninety. If I taught at a Bible college, that is what I got, would get paid. But I didn't receive all of my salary this year. And I tell you this, not to boast, but because I would rather put that $8,000 in the bank to ensure we can keep doing what we're doing here and bless others. Because I believe that God will take care of the house if he'll take care of, uh, uh, he'll, if I take care of his house, he'll take care of my house now some of you might think pastor i don't think you deserve fifty thousand dollars a year that's fine don't give nothing go somewhere else then but people who believe that pastors should make money and take care of their family thank you for your gifts amen i'm not here to tap dance for you and i'm not here to prove it to you i'm just here to say this is what we're doing you can get on the train or off the train the good thing about the train is it keeps going you can say what you want about that bus driver you can say what you want about the bus stop you can say what you want about the seat and what you want about the city but the thing is that 
that bus is going, baby, with or without you. Okay, this is what we do. Now, I took a sacrifice to do that. Why? Because I wanted to. When they asked me to go lead in Bible college, start me off at almost 50000 a year and let me pastor so I could make money teaching in Bible college and be a pastor. I went out one time to Oakland, California. Some of y'all don't even know this. And I went out there, and I said, there ain't no way I can do these two jobs. I, I just can't do it. If I fly out here all the time, I'm going to miss my family. I'm going to go crazy. I took a $50,000 pay cut just to offer my whole life to this church. And you might say, man, what does he do when he's not in front of us? I wrote a 365-day devotion to give it away for free online. That's one of the things that I did just for you. Why? Because I want to use my education to bless the church. I don't need a hand clap. I don't need a pat on the back. All I need is your respect and your honor to what God has called me to do. Are you listening to me? So what does he do at home when he's pecking away like a little pterodactyl? He like my little arms right here, like a little pterodactyl. That's a pterodactyl, right? Like those little things. Packing away all day. I'm writing materials. I'm giving away books. We're doing all that we can to reach as many as we can so that when Jesus Christ comes, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, having said all of that, what you going to do? She said, if it pleases the king, Esther said, let the king gather together Haman. Come today for a banquet, for I have prepared for him. Now, listen, what happened to Queen Vashti, the, the prior queen to Queen Esther. She got kicked out the kingdom for just not listening to King Xerxes. Now Queen Esther has a plan to not only upset the wagon, but she is going to frame one of King Xerxes' right-hand officials. And to get an understanding of how crazy this man was, look at the movie 300 based on the life of King Xerxes. He was worshipped as a god. He was a god king over Persia. So all he had to say when she brought up that plan was, I don't like your plan. Kill her, Mordecai, and let's try to slaughter all the Jews. See, she had to risk her life. What are you willing to risk to be here? What are you willing to risk and put down? What are you willing to do with your family to have God be a part of their lives? Are you willing to risk uh, them becoming a professional baseball player so you can put them in church more? I'm so sick and tired of watching parents try to make every child a professional sports player. Man, who told you that, parent? Who put that in your mind? Want to have five practices a week and ten camps over here? Man, let me tell you where basketball, football players, hockey players belong. They belong in my backyard playing with sticks on grass in some creek. That's where they belong. And them stadiums that they have, you know what belongs there? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody can, take a, anybody can take a rubber ball and put it through a metal hoop. Anybody can kick a ball through a goal. Anybody can do that. But I want to ask you something. Can you live holy? Can you raise your family right? Can you be a good mom and dad? Can you help your community? Can you be somebody that's honest and a person of integrity? I'm tired of us acting like sports is all of this and that. We used to just, when I was growing up, we used to just go to practice two and three times a week. Now parents tell me they got to bring their kids ten times a week. You know, I've already talked to, 10 times a week. I've already talked to my friend. He pastors out in the suburbs. He said now most people only come to church once a month. He said because they used to not schedule volleyball games and all this on Sunday, but now they got volleyball games on Sunday, basketball games on Sunday. Let my child, let one coach try to tell me when that basketball game's going. I'm telling them we're going to church on Sunday to hell with your basketball game and your practice, baby. To hell with it. Let me write it down so you understand. To hell with your volleyball practice. Well, we need him here on Sunday. We, you No, no, no. You need to get right with God before you bust hell wide open. 
I'm sick and tired of having people tell me how important their kid playing a sport is. Who brainwashed you, parents, to get you to believe that? It's about God. You're talking about, I just want to send them to college. We sent one of them to college. What did he find there? Drugs, alcohol, partying, fornication. One of the highest rates of suicide and STDs is on college campuses. You're such in a hurry to hand them over to Satan. You might as well just put them in a strip club and save some money. Well, they're going to get an education. They can get an education on Phoenix University Online, baby. A book is a book. I think we have got so perverted in our minds, we think we understand. So we don't understand nothing. We don't know our right hand from our left in this culture. We need to wake up and get a part of God's plan. Amen. We need to say, God, what's your plan for a university? God, when you told our founding fathers to start Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, was this craziness going on at U of I? Of course it wasn't. Men were there to be respectable. You couldn't have sex anytime you want. Couldn't get drunk anytime you wanted. Couldn't have drugs on campus. Couldn't have same-sex dormitories. Couldn't allow all of these false religions to promote their nonsense. With Harvard, the, the model for Harvard was truth for Christ in his church. How do you think we should start colleges today? You think Harvard's a good school? Has it turned out all right? We should start schools with that same priority, to truth for Christ and his church. And if somebody says, well, man, I don't like that. I think we should have all these other truths for this and truths for that. Okay, I vote the first place we start doing that is Saudi Arabia. Let's give Saudi Arabia a try, the home of Islam in Mecca. Let's see how, how, how uh, diversified they're going to be. You want to put a Muslim a club in our school, Saudi Arabia, let's go put a Christian club right next to Mecca and see how you like it. They won't even let women drive in Mecca. That's how discriminatory they are. They still have a sex trade in the Islamic nations, and they're oppressing people right now, and they want to tell us we need to be more diversified. To hell with your diversity. I'm following Jesus. I'd rather be like John Adams and George Washington and Abraham Lincoln than a Barack Obama, and that's why we need to pray that he gets saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? And his false prophet pastor he used to be a part of, you know, this man right over there on the south side, he's full of the devil too, putting racism back in our hearts. There ain't racism. Nobody's racist today, hardly in a city like today. You're approved on your character. You get a job based on what you do, baby. So go ahead and do it. Make it happen. I worked on the South Side. I worked in New Orleans, and I know what it's like to have a project mentality no matter what man, uh, color you are. It's time that we learn it's not white, black, pink, or purple. It's righteousness and wickedness. It's heaven and it's hell. It's hard work or it's laziness. It's right or it's wrong. you got to make that decision. This is the plan. Amen. This is Happy New Year to you. God bless you. This is Happy New Year. Look at Matthew 28, verse 18. I've been holding up some of that. Jeremiah Wright, I rebuke him in Jesus' name. Somebody schedule a debate with me and that person that thinks he's a pastor. All of them. I'm not just saying white. I'm talking Joel Osteen, all of them. I'm talking anybody that's not telling the nation what God is saying. We can't force religion down your throat, and that, that's never been our agenda. In America, that should be a pastor's agenda. But what I'm saying is there can be a religion of the people, and the majority of the people get to satisfy the needs of their people. That's why we put the Ten Commandments on our courtrooms and not the Bhagavad Gita. We made, a, we made a purposeful choice to do that. Are you listening to me? That's why we swore on the Bible, not the Quran. Like I said, you want to change that, go change it in Saudi Arabia.
Change it there. Do you know that right now more Christians are dying in India than they've ever done before? And we got movie stars walking around going, I'm a vegetarian, man. Oh, I'm into karma. No, you are a fool. You are a skinny little fool. You think you're smart? I'm a meatitarian. You are a meatiated fool. You've been convinced not eating meat makes you more spiritual. You've been convinced that you going to yoga class, twisting your body all up like this, makes you spiritual? Hello, somebody. You see, the world has tried to tell us in the church how to be. It's about time we tell the, the world how to be. And at the bottom line is we're not here to force nobody. You, you, you don't want to do it. You still want to be a vegetarian? Hey, that's on you. God bless you. Do whatever you got to do. But I'm a meditarian, baby. This is what Jesus said. Somebody say it's what Jesus said. Right here, all that other stuff's what I said. Here's what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. So where do we teach what Jesus taught? Everywhere we're at. You're a teacher in school, teach what Jesus taught. Our schools now have gotten so corrupt, they can't even say it came from the Bible, but you can still say it. Treat others as you want to be treated. That didn't come from the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita. That came from the Bible. Tell somebody that. You understand what I'm saying? I'll, I'll, I'll rip them all to shreds right here because I'm sick and tired of all, all, us acting like they're all the same. I had a woman tell me the other day, all religions are the same. They're about love. I'm like, have you lost your God-given mind? They're all about love. 90% of the 100,000 Christians that are dying right now are dying in Islamic countries. What, what Quran are you reading? Well, my neighbor ain't like that. She's a Muslim. Well, the reason why she's not like that is because she's not being told from her imam in the mosque what to do. The moment, like you see in Afghanistan and Iran, the moment the Muslims come in and say, this is how we're following the Quran, everybody has to get in line. There's no more voting. Do you understand Sharia law takes over the voting? Just look at the Ayatollahs in Iran. It's the same thing when it comes to these different opinions that we keep saying. Well, evolution. Evolution is not an opinion. It's a fact. Yes, it is an opinion. Show me one time that something came from nothing. Just show me that one time. Just, just show me one time that something came from nothing. The only reason why they're teaching that to your children in school is because they hate God. That's it. They hate God. They do not want God coming out of their lips, out of their teacher's lips in school. Otherwise, show me where that's happened. Show me that. You can't. But I got authority because Jesus got authority. Amen? I don't need to be a politician to have authority. Neither do you. You have the most authority over your kids. You have the most authority over your family and over your house. Your neighbors have the most authority over their community. Your neighborhood decides what kind of neighborhood it's going to be. How has the police done with stopping violence in our city? See, they haven't stopped it. I guarantee you right now, moms and dads, brothers and sisters start getting saved. Violence will stop right now. We don't need more laws. We don't need more police officers. Do you know that I watch these shows about people in Alaska? Guess what? There ain't no police officer anywhere around. You ever watch these shows in Discovery, Yukon men? There's like a thousand of them living out there in the woods and all this. Guess what? Every single one of them got a gun. It's not even like, do you have a gun? It's like, how many do you have? How big is your gun? They're walking around with M16 strapped on their shoulders. Guess what? Not one murder. Not one murder. There's no police officers there, and there's guns in everybody's home. You know why there's no murder? It's because there's no murder in people's hearts. When you have murder in your heart, there ain't a law on this earth that can stop you from murdering somebody. 
When you have hatred in your heart, there is not one thing that this world can do to stop that. When you have lust and perversion in your heart, there is not one thing that can stop that. God is saying he has all the authority. So when you get together with him, you got that authority. How did I get off drugs and alcohol? Coming to Jesus, he had the authority. He said, devil, get out of his life. Now you're free. Bam, there it was. Not 12 steps, one step to Jesus. How did I get set free from pornography? I got set free by Jesus. Jesus said, lust, go, Joe, you're forgiven. Don't do that again. And I haven't done it again. Are you listening to me? Now, you can think I'm a liar, but I'm telling you the truth. I haven't looked at pornography since Thanksgiving break of 96. Men, when was the last time you looked at pornography? See, who's got the authority? See, we could talk the talk all day long. But see, I got the authority because Jesus Christ gave it to me. Do you want his authority? Obey his teachings and receive it. Amen? I'm not acting like I'm any better than you. I'm just a sinner saved by grace, sanctified, and made a saint. Amen? I know who I am, and I know who I used to be, but more importantly, what changed me was knowing who Jesus was. So here we go. What are we going to do in this church? We're going to baptize some folks, get them to know Jesus, and we're going to teach them to be his disciples and send them out into this world to follow his ways until he comes. There it is. Here's how we call it. Connect, mentor, send. You don't have to use those same words. You may think those words are corny, but that's our way of trying to describe what Jesus said. Jesus talked to the disciples. He was in a relationship with them, and he said, now you guys go out and teach others and then send them out to do the same things that I've been doing with you. And so when you look at our church, what we call a church is a gathering of believers. We're going to connect people to Jesus through our services, life groups, and evangelism. So if you meet us on the streets, we're going to tell you to get connected to Jesus. You come to the church, you're going to get connected to Jesus. Every single service has the preaching of the gospel. Isn't that awesome? And if you come to the life groups, you may go bowling, you may hang out, single moms, you may be married, you may be a youth. It doesn't matter. They're going to encourage you to know Jesus. This is a great way for your friends to hear about Jesus. Number two, we're going to mentor everyone. We're going to take the good news of Jesus Christ, the message that he's given us, the commands that he's taught us, and we're just going to simply teach them to others. Now, we found out that there's two ways to do this successfully. The first way is one-on-one, something that you get alone with somebody else of the same gender, and you keep it real. You take off the mask, and you say, this is who I am, this is where I'm at, and this is what I need God to do in my life. That way, that person can mentor you. There's nobody embarrassing you, telling your stuff to the church. It's between you and that person. You can get discipled here one-on-one. This church guarantees you that no matter how big we get to 100,000, if you show up that day and there's 100,000, we'll put out that call. You want to be discipled one-on-one, somebody will do that. Won't that be awesome? No matter how big the church is, we'll say, this is what we do. You're important to us. You're just not a number in the seat. I'm not here preaching at you because I don't love you. I'm preaching at you because I do love you. I want to see you accomplish this vision. I want to see the young and the old, all of us together, male and female, no discrimination. There's no clubs here, how much money you have or what group are you a part of. Everyone is welcome at the table of Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to be there too. Can I come to that table? I want to be discipled. I have mentors in my life that have been discipling me one-on-one ever since I've been saved. Some of them longer than others, but I've had that in my life. I'll treasure them until I go to heaven with Jesus. And number two, a classroom setting. We believe in the 21st century that learning is important. We believe that colleges came forth out of the church in the heart of the learning that the Christians had. You can research how the collegiate system even developed. But I believe it came from the church and from Western values that came from this Bible. So we want you to sit in a class 
like Jared teaches on Sunday mornings. Go through a little bit more information than you might have learned in that first stage and memorize scripture. Be accountable to people in the class. Understand where we came from, where we're going, and how to get there as a church. And then understand your life. Why was I the way I was? Why did I do the things I did? And what does God expect from me? And then lastly, if you've been connected to Jesus, if you've been mentored, you're going to want to be sent out. And so how do we send out people? We send out leaders, and the Bible calls these leaders elders and deacons. Elders just simply means someone that's in charge or is a leader knows what's going on. And then the deacon just simply means servant. They're serving those leaders, and they can set their heart on being one of those leaders as well, an elder. And then lastly, we believe that those people will start those new ministries. They're going to continue to connect. They're going to continue to mentor. And this is what Jesus told us to do. And if you find any successful church, no matter what they've called it, this is similar to what they have done. Why? Because this is how Jesus builds his church. Whether it's in China, whether it's in Brazil, or whether it's in India, he's building his church through disciples. Now, where is the biblical mandate for this? Look at it quickly in closing. The biblical mandate for connecting is found in Mark 16, 15 through 20. I'm going to give you some scriptures. Let's read one of each one, then we'll head out. Look with me to Mark 16, 15 through 20. If you're ready for some teaching, somebody say, teach it. Did you have some preaching this morning? Woo, come on, somebody. Hey, man, I just got excited. I love, <laughs> I love Jesus. You know, I just uh, I look forward to this every week, and i got so much to share when I get here. Today I just had a lot because it's just been bubbling up as I've been thinking about our vision and I've been seeing these other churches on TV, some of these guys, not all of them, but some of them compromise. And I'm like, these spineless, jello belly ninnies. Why can't somebody say what we believe? This is what we believe. And I'm not just saying I believe. You ask any good pastor. You ask the pastor of Armitage Baptist what he believes. You ask, they will tell you, this is what we believe. They actually had Armitage Baptist pastor, I remember his name. When, when um, What's his name? Brother Flinch, they had him on uh, Fox News when the, the all, our aldermen tried to stop Chick-fil-A from coming in. And he was just like, you know, just laying it down. And I wrote him, I said, God bless you, man of God. Amen. I'm with that dude. Amen. I ain't with the ninnies and these yellow belly cowardly. I'm with that man. Amen. I'm with men who stand up for righteousness and do what's right. And I love God and I love people that way with a, with the strength. We're not weak. We're strong in Christ. Amen. We're weak without him, but strong in him. So I'm going to love you, son, fierce, baby. Oh, I love you so much, like a tiger. Love you like a tiger. Hallelujah. Let's look at Mark 16, 15. He said to them, go into all the world and sit on the pews and build big buildings and make money off gospel records. Is that what he said in verse 15? Go into all the world and become socialists and change my teachings to fit the culture and make sure that you allow a place for Lady Gaga and Miley Cyrus to feel comfortable and Richard Simmons. Is that what it said? Hey, I love Lady Gaga and Richard Simmons and all that, but here's what he told me to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, can I, can, I mean, come on, somebody. Can it be any clearer than that? 
What, what do you not understand? This is what I want to say to anybody that does not understand this. What don't you understand about this? If you argue with this, you are arguing with common sense. Now, this doesn't mean Christianity is true because it makes an exclusive claim. But it is true that Christianity makes exclusive claims. He will never fit with Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad. Never. It is his way or no way. Amen? Praise God. So there you go. Connect. Look at your neighbor and say, get with it, baby. Amen. Connect. Next, mentor. We read Matthew 28, 18 to 20, but look at 2 Timothy 2, 2. Amen. I'm happy to be in church today. Oh, praise God. I love you. I'm glad that you all come back too. Amen. You hear the preaching and then you come back. It's like, I like it when he preaches like that. It's like crazy because some people encourage it. You're like, I like those messages. <laughs> And look at chapter 2, verse 2. It says, And things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. The only way we can hand these teachings to other people is if we first hear them and then find reliable people to give them to. That's why we have stages in our discipleship. We don't give the first-time visitor the microphone and say, now what do you think? Well, you know, because you haven't shown yourself to be reliable. And God bless you if you came from another church, but we don't know what your other church thought. We didn't know how they trained you at the other church. Amen. They might have told you to hold the rifle backwards. I have no idea. I want to make sure you know what you're doing with the Word of God. Amen. I'm not here to judge the other church. I'm just here to make sure you know which way to hold your rifle. Duck, when we say duck, I want to make sure we're in a team. So Paul said the same thing. Hey, find reliable people. Amen. Does your job like to have reliable people? If I went to your boss, I don't care where you work. If you're helping build the Trump Tower, sell condos downtown, work for the post office, I'm just saying wherever you work, if I went there Monday and said, boss, do you want reliable people or unreliable people, what do you think he would say? After he slapped me upside the head and said, what you thinking, dummy? Of course I want reliable people. But what do you think in church? Is, do we not understand in church? Do we want reliable people or unreliable people? People that just show up when they feel like it, show up when they're not feeling well. You know, it's like seems like some people every other week they have the black lung, you know. <clears throat> oh, I can't make it to church. <clears throat> I caught the black lung. You know, like we have influenza, like a outbreak of influenza around it. It's like, dear God, people, take some seraflu, whatever that is, and come to church. Amen. It's like, get a backbone for Jesus. It's like if you called in sick half the time, you call in sick for church, you came for a job, you wouldn't even have a job. Hello, somebody. I can only say what he says. Find reliable people. Amen. I love you, and I'm praying for reliable people. And then look at send out. Look at uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And uh, uh, Rachel, would you come, please? Acts chapter, or who's on the, Vinny, Brother Vinny. There, let's give it up for Brother Vinny right here. Come on. Amen. He's going to soften the mood now. Play some love music for Jesus, baby. Let's, let's take it to another level. <laughs> Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Look at what the church did. This is the church you're a part of, and then I want to apply it to your life. Because like I said, it's not just about what we do here in the club. You know, like, oh, I'm a part of this great church, but my family's falling apart. No, then we have failed you. If your family is falling apart and the church is doing good, then there's a disconnect. If, if, if you're not 
being faithful to your wife or your husband or your kids or your job, but you're, you know, you're trying to show up here. It's almost like you're playing make-believe. And sometimes I see that, you know, people come to church and they feel like they belong and people are nice to them here and they get connected. And I'll see this like with young people, young adults and, and youth. And then the parents will come to me and say, man, I don't even get my kids to clean the room, but you got them cleaning your church. Well, that doesn't honor God, young people, if you clean the church, but you don't clean your room, right? We have to show the world that we're the best kind of people. We're the most dependable kind of people, not just when we're doing spiritual things, but when we're doing the things that they need us to do or the things we want to do for, for jobs and things like this. And, and this is what I want to say as well, and I've said it before. I'm not saying the only passion in your life has to be God and church. Be passionate about the other things that you care about. My job as your pastor is to make sure you keep the passion for God and family first. But of course be passionate for your job. I mean, when you guys show up at your job and, and some of you are part of bigger companies and they, or, or you know, you're part of different organizations and you show up and they start setting goals, I mean, do you sit there, you know, falling asleep or do you go, man, I'm going to help set these goals. We're going to reach 10,000 customers this week, you know. I remember we were going to Fogo de Chow having something to eat and uh, it's one by Rosewood. They had just started a new location there. And we were talking to the guy, it was bad weather and everything, and he was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're getting our business going. And I said, man, I hope you guys manage to stay here, you know. And, man, that manager was so quick to rebuke me. He said, we're not just, am I telling the truth? He's like, we're not just going to uh, manage to be here, survive. He said, we're going to thrive. And then he started telling me his goals for this restaurant. He said, man, we're going to get this many lunch customers, this many dinner customers. We're going to make sure we get more visibility. We want to be here for the long haul. And I said to myself, man, if I had 100 people like that in church to win disciples, we would change this world by this time next week. If I had 100 people that said, man, I'll come on time, I'll stay late if I have to, I'll dedicate my life to what God's called me to do, I'm going to reach people, I'm going to reach out to them even if they reject me, I'm going to teach them what I've been taught, I'm going to be faithful. Because if we're faithful, God will make us fruitful, amen? And if you see this right here, Paul is saying, uh, as they went out and planted churches, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord and whom he had put their, uh, the, whom they had put their trust in. You see, they trusted these men. So let's say you want to start a new business. You've got to trust people on that job. Let's say you're a part of somebody else's business. You need to be trustworthy. Does everybody get the point? Can we all stand up to our feet, please, and bless the Lord today? Amen. This is what we're going to do. I hope that you can join with us. Can you bless him like you mean it now? Amen. I cannot say this enough. I'm not angry at anybody. But I want you to understand this is what we're about. I'm not going to embarrass you here today if you haven't started the discipleship yet. But I want to challenge you. Start discipleship. My dad, you know one of the greatest things my dad has taught me? You know, he's in his 60s now. My mom just turned 71. You know what my parents have taught me? I mean, I love that they've taught me so much. And you've probably had good parents teach you so much. But this is what my parents taught me when it came to God. As they were getting ready to retire and, and plan out their life, my dad said, now I want to take everything I've done in the world to make wealth and I want to do it towards the kingdom full time.
And it just blew my mind that my father, a businessman, he said, I'm going to give my years to the Lord. And it's like that taught me so much, Ish, because really they're married together. When you, when you go tomorrow to work 40, 50 hours a week, you know, whatever, after Martin Luther King Day, and, and you, you go and work, you're going to be passionate about that, aren't you? I mean, you're, you're going to want to do that. But most of you, think about this, most of you won't do that until the day you die. Even if you love it, I'm talking you love it, like my dad loved his job. There's going to come a time where you're going to say, this job is not really who I am anymore. Some of you may work the rest of your life, and that's great, but just for most of you, hear my heart on this, because it's the lesson that God taught me. But you'll continue to live on. So who are you really in the job today? I believe you're what lives on after the job ends tomorrow. Now that's deep, right? But watch, it can get even deeper. We love our families, don't we? And I, I mean, I, I don't think there's any parent that loves their children more than me. You may love your children as much as me, but not more. It's impossible. There's just no way. I'll arm wrestle you. I'll prove it. No, I'm kidding. But I began to think about this. I was watching a show, one of these reality shows uh, about these uh, little people that own a farm. Everybody knows these people, the little people that own a farm. And all of their kids are growing up and going away. And all of a sudden, they look at each other, and they sadly said this, we don't even like each other, the husband and wife. We just were parents. But you see, parenting in that way came to an end. Not that they stopped being parents, but this idea of I'm taking my kid here, I'm doing this for my kid, that ends. Now watch, you want to get even deeper? What happens when someone dies with the person you're married to? Who are you then? Imagine you're 85 years old. There's somebody right now. Come on, that's in a nursing home that could relate to this story. She was sitting right here in a wheelchair. She'd go, ah, I agree, Pastor, tell them. They're 85 years old. They're sitting in a nursing home. Kids are grown, doing their thing. Husband or wife died, and they're sitting today getting fed through a straw. If you don't die tragically, that's how you'll die. I was called to the Lord in a nursing home. From that day forward, I've never got my mind off the frailty of life and who we really are. Okay? So now here's this 85-year-old woman getting her pea soup today out of a straw. She's upset. Wheel of Fortune's not on. and She's going to sit there 12 hours today doing whatever she does in that nursing home. What, what can I go up and tell her? You're a good grandma. You were a good wife. You were good. You know what she's going to say? That's all over now. I'm dying. She may find a fulfillment in that, but that will not be able to go with her to the grave. Even if you love your wife, you love your husband, you can't take them with you. Even if you love your kids and you love your family and you love your job. Are you guys following me here? I learned this through my parents. You see, life really, when you get down to it, is like this for everybody. Are you going to love God and love people? Because when that day you're in that nursing home, you can say, 
Though my body fails, my spirit's being revived. Though these momentary afflictions come, I'm being renewed day by day. I look forward to the time I see my Savior face to face. When you're there and your job is gone, no more time to make money. Bill Gates, Michael Jordan, and the homeless dude down the street, if they all wheeled them together, what, what would they talk about? They say, all sitting there. Well, I used to dunk the ball. I used to make millions of dollars. I used to urinate on myself. What difference does it make now? We're, we're all here. We're all breathing our last breaths. No dunking balls here. No making money here. It's all over now. Oh, then somebody might say, well, this person gives more to their children. What do we do when the human race fails? You see, no matter which way you push it, there comes a day when he says, this is what it's all about. I created you in a garden. Your ancestors chose to do things their own way. I sent my son to die for you so you could do things my way. You're my child and I'm your father. And though heaven and earth go away, though your children go away, though your family goes away, though your talents go away, though your job goes away, when you are connected to me, I am with you forever to the end of the age. What you have taught others will be what we teach each other for eternity. And what you were sent out to do is now you are home. This is the final journey for all of eternity. There it is. Let's pray. Father, I hope that we make it there. I hope that this church makes it there. I hope that this city makes it there. Because one day, God, it's all going to fall apart anyway. And all that will matter is your kingdom. May now we take these lessons.